And so here we are, it's New Year's weekend. Last night you closed down 2011 uh, and then you sort of ushered in and welcomed in 2012, continuing into today. And you can hardly believe that it's already 2012, right? It's almost like somebody's speeding up the clocks or something like that. It's kind of crazy. And a whole bunch of us, we're going to ring in 2012 with some New Year's resolutions, aren't we? Right? Are you resolution kind of people? We're going to ring in New Year's with some resolutions. And the New Year's resolution deal, our tradition's almost as old as time, right? Around comes a new year and human beings, we sort of have this innate desire to start fresh and wipe the slate clean and turn over a new leaf, right? We want to start over again. Well, I was doing a little snooping this week around the web for stats on New Year's resolutions. I learned that roughly 40 to 45% of American adults make one or more resolutions every year. 40 to 45% of adults make one or more resolutions every year. Research, though, tells us only 75% of those resolutions are kept past the first week (laughs) of making them. A quarter of all resolutions that you made, like last night or maybe today, will not be here next week. You will not be living by them a week from now. A quarter of them fall off the plate. 71% of resolutions make it past the two-week mark. 64% of resolutions make it to the 30-day mark. And watch this. Just 46% of New Year's resolutions make it out to six months. Not very encouraging stats. Less than half of New Year's resolutions even make it to the six-month mark. Now, there's some New Year's resolutions that are meaningful, Right? Probably the ones you're making. But then there are some that are just flat funny. Here's a few actual New Year's resolutions people reported to researchers. I'm going to start washing my hands after I use the restroom. (laughs) Some people result, really? Really? In light of that, here's mine. I'm going to start calling guys out who I see in the bathroom who don't wash their hands. (laughs) I'm the bathroom monitor. Other people, they resolved, I'm going to stop drinking orange juice after I just brush my teeth. (laughs) Some other people said they're going to stop licking frozen flagpoles. Wonder where they were from. I'm going to go back to school to avoid paying my student loans off. (laughs) I'm only going to eat white snow. And some people resolved to spend less than $1,825 on Starbucks in the new year. Now get that. Only 46% of people who made those resolutions kept them for six months. That means there's way too many people who aren't washing their hands after they use the restroom or eating yellow snow and spending way too much on Starbucks. And you know who you are, right? So those are humorous ones. But some New Year's resolutions, they're, they're pretty serious, right? Like the ones that you're probably making. I wonder if they're in this list. And so, you, like, if you think about your resolutions, this is the target of your life, right? You, you're aiming for these things. And uh, I need to be about this one, working out, right? And so some of us are resolving we, we need to work out. My excuse is I have seven kids. What's your excuse for not working? Stay. Some of you are looking across your life and you're like, well... I've got this discretionary time, and I don't really think I'm giving back enough to the community, and so I, I, I just need to volunteer more. And so you might be resolving, that, that's a good one, those are both 
good ones. Some of you are looking into the back seat of your car and it looks like a bomb went off back there and you're like, I got to organize my life. I just got to organize my life, right? Just got to get that, like that's my target this year. Well, I, I just want to travel the world. I want to see, I haven't seen very much of the world and so I'm going to get out there and I'm going to see the world. That's a good one. And oh, maybe it's not so good. Fell right off the target. Some of us, especially after Christmas, we're really thinking about this one, right? I got to save more. Credit card bills are coming due, and so I just got to save more in 2012. But in order to do that, this has a partner, doesn't it? It's this one, Spend Less, right? So we're going to do this. By the way, next weekend we're starting a series called The Genius of Generosity, and we're going to press into this kind of stuff. Some of you are evaluating your life and you're saying, I'm just way too high strung. I've got way too much stress. I've got way too many things going on in my life. I just need to stress less. And so you're going to aim for that in the new year. Uh, Those folks who we ate dinner across the room from last night, they need to take this one up. Maybe some of you are resolving that. And that's a serious one. Seriously, like that's a, like this is a big, this is a really big deal. And some of us are just saying, well, we just got to put that down Others of us who are tobacco users are just saying, like, man, I got I to gotta get done with that. I got to quit smoking. I got to quit chewing. I got to quit snuffing. I got to quit whatever you do with tobacco, all that stuff. And then some of us were saying, you know, I'm just not spending enough quality time with the people who I love. I'm just not spending the kind of time that I should be. And so in the new year, I'm going to be all about that. I got to clear some things off so that I can get to that. And then there's those of us who are also thinking, like, ladies, you're, you're going, in 2012, my resolution is i got to meet Mr. Right. I've got to meet Mr. Right. And you're real serious about that. And so you're going to aim for that as your target. And then uh, some of you who are men, you're saying, I have to meet Mrs. Right. And this is actually a misprint because Mrs. Right is already married. And so <laughs> she's unavailable. None of this in 2012. 12, Miss Right. And especially those of you who are about these two meeting, Mr. or Miss Right, you're thinking about a song, maybe a song that goes something like this. Can anybody
Somebody to love, find me. 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 Somebody to resolutions, the target of our life. Here's some of the things that we're aiming for. What if I told you that whatever your resolution is, that it's aiming at entirely the wrong target? Would you be bummed? What if I told you that your New Year's resolution is actually going to miss the bullseye by like a mile? And that's something I know about little bit about, if you remember my elk hunting story, I know about missing by a mile. And I tell you that because it's true. Because none of us needs another New Year's resolution that we don't even keep for half of the year. What we need instead is what I'm calling the anti-resolution. We need a New Year's anti-resolution. Or what in the heck is an anti-resolution? An anti-resolution is doing one thing, taking one step, making one decision, and by doing that one thing, taking that one step, making that one decision, everything, and I mean every single thing in your life changes. It's not a resolution, it's an anti-resolution. One thing changes everything, or should I say, one person changes everything. See, part of the reason that our New Year's resolutions don't have any staying power in our lives is because we're aiming at entirely the wrong thing. We're focused on treating symptoms instead of treating root causes. Resolutions are really just about us getting caught up in our own personal self-improvement plan. I'm just going to make myself better. Which is exactly why 25% of them don't even last a week from the day that they're made. We don't need another resolution. We need the anti-resolution. And so here it is. Your 2012 anti-resolution. Are you ready? Here it is. This will work any year, by the way. Here it is, right here. Center of the target. 
Jesus Christ. Center of the target, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in first place. Jesus Christ, your aim, your focus, your desire, your pursuit. It's him. It's him. And just in case you're wondering whether or not Jesus is qualified to be your anti-resolution, the center of your target, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on this screen above my head. And Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18, is really a resume of sorts for Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' resume. Here's what the Bible says. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's us, by the way. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he, Jesus, is first in everything. So he is first in everything. I'd make a great first memory verse of the year. So he is first in everything. So it would seem then that Jesus the Christ is eminently qualified to be at the center of your life. Why? He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation. Through him God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't even see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. This is a huge one. He holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. You are not going to find anyone or anything else that is more qualified to occupy the center of the target in your life, are you? No one, no thing. Now get this. It isn't just his magnificent qualifications that justify his role at the very center of your life. That's one thing. But then there's this. And it's that Jesus absolutely forever and always loves you. Absolutely. Forever and always loves you. Every single one of you. And some of you feel like right now you're in a pretty dark place and you're looking across the landscape of your life and you're going, nobody loves me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how dark and deep All of it is. And Jesus says, I absolutely know. He absolutely knows. And he absolutely and entirely always 
and forever unwaveringly loves you with all of him. And he loves you so much that he was born a human being, God putting on human flesh for the purpose of dying on the cross so that you and I, us, every person who ever lived, every person who ever will live, can have a personal relationship with God starting right here and right now. And remember, it isn't just about punching your heaven ticket. It's about a new quality of life with him starting right here, right now. He loves you so much, he died on the cross for you. If you were the last person on planet earth, he would have still died for you. He loves you that much. And just that alone justifies his first place in our lives, doesn't it? Center of the target. Focus, pursuit, everything. Jesus Christ. Your anti-resolution. And so throw out the resolution thing. Make Christ your entire focus. Everything about you. You make him the center of the target of your life and you say, Jesus, here I am. I'm giving you my all and see what things really change in you over the course of the next 12 months. What might happen in your life when you make him center of the target? You give him free reign to reorder your life, your priorities, your everything. Here's all of me, Jesus. None of those things that we would call resolutions are necessarily bad things, are they? Jesus probably actually has some things to say about him. Let's take the working out one for example. Just because you're putting Jesus at the center of your life doesn't mean you're just going to sit around on the couch eating Cheetos and reading your Bible all day long. No. Jesus at the center of your life means that he's actually compelling you to see your physical body the way he sees your physical body. How does he see it? Well, first of all, he sees it as a precious, precious creation of his. He sees it as a gift from him, created in his image, given to you. It's your earth suit that he made just for you. He also calls it a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. A temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says our bodies are. And so then you see working out isn't just about you standing vainly in front of a mirror so you can look good for people of the opposite sex. Working out actually becomes part of what it looks like for you to have Jesus at the center of the target of your life. Why? Because even your body is all about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Now, I'm not going to take every single one of those in that level of detail, but let's take a couple more. Let's talk about the finding Mr. or Miss Right. How many single people do you know? Maybe you are this person who have replaced Jesus at the center of their life with I gotta find my mate. I gotta find Mr. or I gotta find Miss Right. And they make that the entire pursuit of their life, the focus of their everything. It's way, way too many, isn't it? So, what if in 2012, instead of pursuing him or her, lowercase h's, what if you put Jesus back at the center of your life where he belongs? And you make him your pursuit. It isn't about a husband or a wife. And what if you let Jesus speak into the process of you getting married, if indeed that's what he has for you? He might not have that for you. 
And what if God has the perfect person out there for you to spend the rest of your life with, but right now you're not ready to meet him or her because God's got some stuff that he wants to attend to in your heart and life first. And if you met that person now, you'd make a mess of it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But what if you took it in his time? Jesus, it's you, center of the target. You, center of the target. You, center of the target. And God, if you have him or her out there for me, then okay, I'm just waiting. I'm trusting. I'm depending, clinging to you. You put Jesus at the center of your life and focus and see what he has to say and do about the changes that he's going to make in you. No more New Year's resolutions. Jesus Christ, your anti-resolution. Because with Christ at the center of your life, with Christ as your focus, it's an amazing thing that God did when he set all of this up. He says, look, if you just live life my way, it works. If you just live life God's way, life has an amazing way of just working out, doesn't it? When you do what God says to do, when you obey him, when you trust him, when you follow him, everything else just sort of shakes out. And us putting Jesus at the center of our lives in 2012, here's what it looks like. It means that you get up every single day and you do what Jim Collins calls, you take a 20-mile march with Jesus. You take a 20-mile march with Jesus Christ. Now let me tease that out for you. In October of 1911, there were two teams who were finalizing their prep for the quest to be the first people in modern history to reach the South Pole. The leaders of both expeditions were a nearly matched pair. One of them, Roald Amundsen, age 39. The other, Robert Falcon Scott, age 43. They both had comparable experience. Both Amundsen and Scott started their journey to the South Pole within days of each other. They both faced a round trip of more than 1,400 miles. That's roughly the distance from New York to Chicago and back again. And they faced that journey in a very uncertain, very unforgiving environment, didn't they? Remember, the year was 1911. No two-way radios, no cell phones, no GPSs, absolutely no way whatsoever to be rescued should they screw up. Now, one of those leaders, they led their team to victory and safety. The other led his team to defeat and ultimately death. On December 15, 1911, in very bright sunshine, sparkling across that vast white plain with a slight crosswind, a temperature of just 10 degrees below zero, Amundsen reached the South Pole first. He and his teammates, they planted the Norwegian flag, which unfurled itself with a sharp crack, he wrote in his journal, and dedicated the plateau to the Norwegian king. Then Amundsen and his team went right back to work. They put up a tent and they penned a letter to the Norwegian king describing their success. Amundsen addressed the envelope to Captain Scott, presuming that Scott would be the next to reach the South Pole as a sort of insurance policy in case his team met an unfortunate demise on their journey home. He could not in any way have known that Scott and his team were man-hauling their sleds. That means they were literally tethered to their sleds, filled with supplies, just trekking across the wasteland, 360 miles behind them. 360 miles behind behind them. And so it was more than a month later, 6.30 p.m., January 17, 1912, Scott found himself staring at Amundsen's Norwegian flag at the South Pole. He learned that he had lost 
the race. In one of the great understatements in all of history, he said, we have had a horrible day. That's what he wrote in his journal. See, on that very day, Amundsen had already traveled nearly 500 miles back north, reaching his 82-degree supply depot with only eight easy days to go to home base. Scott turned around, headed back north, more than 700 miles of man-hauling left from their home base, just as the season began to turn. Amundsen and his team reached home base in great shape, January 25th, the precise day that he had penned in his plan. Running out of supplies, Scott stalled out in mid-March, exhausted and depressed. It was eight months later, a British reconnaissance party found the frozen bodies of Scott and two companions just 10 miles short of their supply depot, huddled in a tent, frozen literally to death. Now I asked the question, what was it that separated these two men? Why did one of them achieve spectacular success in the face of such adverse conditions while the other failed to even survive the trip? It all came down to 20-mile marches. December 12, 1911, Amundsen and his team reached a point 45 miles from the South Pole. He had absolutely no idea of Scott's whereabouts. For all he knew, Scott was out in front of him. The weather had turned clear and calm. Sitting high on the smooth polar plateau, Amundsen had perfect ski and sled conditions for the remainder of the journey. Amundsen noted in his journal, going in surface as good as ever, weather splendid, calm with sunshine. And now they had this anxiety, where's Scott gnawing away? Amundsen and his team could reach their goal within 24 hours, just one hard push was all it would take. What did Amundsen do? He went 17 miles. He went 17 miles. And all throughout the journey, that's exactly what he did. He adhered to a regimen, a strict regimen, of consistent, steady, forward progress, pressing ahead about the same distance in nasty weather as they did in great weather, day in and day out, 15 to 20 miles a day, in a relentless march to 90 degrees south. Contrast Amundsen and his team with Scott and his. Many days, Scott would just sit in his tent, complain about the bad weather. In early December, Scott wrote in his journal about being stopped by a blizzard. I doubt if any party could travel in such weather. But when Amundsen and his men faced conditions comparable to Scott's, he wrote in his journal, It has been an unpleasant day. Storm, drift, frostbite. That's unpleasant. But we have advanced, watch this, 13 miles closer to our goal. In Hunford's account of the expeditions in his book, The Last Place on Earth, Amundsen clocked in at the South Pole right on pace, having averaged 15.5 miles per day. Now that's a long and vivid story that I think makes a very powerful point. Putting and keeping Jesus at the center of the target of your life, keeping Jesus, putting him in first place, and keeping him in first place, as your aim, your focus, your desire, your pursuit, means that you subscribe day in and day out to the Amundsen approach to the journey with Jesus. You're going to get up every single day and you're going to march 20 more miles with Jesus. I didn't say that was going to be easy. Notice I didn't say you were going to get up and walk half a block. I said you're going to get up every day and you're going to march 20 miles miles with Jesus. What does that look like? 
means you're going to get up every day and you're going to actually open your Bible. You're going to open your Bible and you're going to say, God, what do you have for me from your word? His word is our roadmap. And so we, we got to read it. We can't just let it get dusty on a shelf and pull it off to sometimes come to church. We got to be in it, engaged in it. God, what do you have for me from your word? 20 mile marching with Jesus means that you get up every single day and you spend time praying absolutely, making requests of God and you spend an equal amount of time listening to him. God knows we have a lot of things to say to him and we do, don't we? But remember, he has a lot of things to say to us. And so you pray and you make requests and you glorify God, you praise him and worship him through your words and then you sit quietly and you say, God, What do you have for me? Are there any assignments that you have for me? What is it that you would have me do today? And I promise you, when you ask God that question, God, what do you have for me? That there comes an answer from him. I promise you. 20 mile marching with Jesus means that you get up every single day and you set yourself, watch this, to obeying God to doing what he tells you to do. The stuff that you're learning about him from the word, his word. It isn't just so you get smarter, so you become a smarter Christian. All that stuff is so that we become more obedient followers of Jesus Christ. We actually do something with it. We're not just filling knowledge binders on shelves. We're obeying him. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to serve today? Who would you have me bless today and you get up every single day and you go another 20 miles another 20 miles another 20 miles with Jesus and just think with me for a moment all the things in your life and all the things in our world that are utterly and entirely out of your control the list is enormous isn't it frankly when I think about the list of things that is that are utterly and completely out of my control it kind of freaks me out I try not to think about that stuff too often But you see what the 20-mile march with Jesus does, it inextricably tethers your life and your soul to the one who is in absolute control. The one who is surprised by nothing. The one who has a plan for you, for good, for hope a bright future. Which means through a 20-mile march with Jesus as you tether your soul to him, no matter the confusion, the uncertainty, even the chaos that comes at you, he's at the center of your life. He's at the top of the list. It's all about him. It isn't just about a self-improvement plan to make yourself better. 20-mile marching with Jesus. Him at the center. 2012. It's not about a resolution. It's Jesus Christ. You're everything. You're anti-resolution. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer. Have some interaction with the Lord around what he's been talking to you about today, please.
And if you'll let me, I'm just going to ask you to stay in a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord. I'm just going to speak over the top of this time. What if you decide that 2012 isn't about some list of resolutions? It's not about some self-induced self-improvement plan. What if you just decide that 2012 is about what Jesus wants to do in your life to make you more like him? It's about him at the center of the target of your life. And your way of keeping him there your way of putting him there is 20 mile marches with Jesus. You're connecting with God at a soul level, connecting with his plans for you, his instruction for you, his challenge for you, his change for you. Sign up right now. And you can sign up for 20 mile marches with Jesus by just telling him, I'm in, I'm on. Good days, bad days, in-between days, hard days, easy days. I'm 20-mile marching with you, Jesus, day in and day out. Tell him you're throwing out the self-improvement plan in exchange for his plan. And then just be real honest with him. Say, God, I'm going to need your help to show up every day to read my Bible and hear from you. I'm going to need your help to show up every day and pray to you, listen to you. I'm definitely going to need your help every day to show up and do all the stuff that you've got for me, God, to obey you. But by your Holy Spirit, God, I'm in. I'm on. 20-mile marching. All the way to what you have for me, God. If that's your decision, just cement it with him. Drive a stake deep in the ground today. What a way to start a new year. And then if you're a person who doesn't yet know Jesus in the relationship kind of way, maybe you know about him. Maybe you sort of heard about him and know a little something. But if you don't know him in a relationship kind of way, your 20-mile marching with Jesus all starts first with you giving your heart and life to him. You giving him your everything, which is what he wants. He wants your heart and he wants your life because he loves you. And he absolutely did come to die as our sacrifice. He is the unblemished, spotless lamb of God and he spilled his blood on the cross for you. And what if today, New Year's Day 2012, you stop trying once and for all to earn your way to him? You've been scratching and clawing and trying to be good enough and strong enough. What if you just say, Jesus, I I get it. It's not about what I did. It's about what you did. And you give your whole life to him. What if today you actually come home to God? You stop running. You stop rebelling. And you receive his forgiveness and his grace. And you let him wash you clean and make you new. If that's what you're doing today, You can express that to God by praying along with me right where you're sitting, a prayer that goes like this. God, I I get it. I'm a sinner and I've been wallowing in my sin. And I'm so grateful to you, Jesus, for in the midst of my sin, you died for me. 
And I say thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you for setting me free, and here is my heart. Here's my everything, and I need, I need your washing, I need your cleansing, I need your newness, God. By the power of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, I'm yours, and I love you. And if that's your choice today, if you're stepping into faith in God today through his son, Jesus Christ, that is the biggest decision of your life. It's such a big deal that around here we acknowledge when people make that decision. It is that significant. And so if you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you real boldly slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and just say, yes, today. Yeah, right there, absolutely. Today I'm giving my heart and life in there and there, absolutely, yes. Saying yes with you and you, absolutely. And in the back, absolutely. And over there, way back there, absolutely, yes. What a way to start the new year. It's all about him. It's him at the center of the target. He's first. Jesus, we say thank you with our whole lives for who you are. And we declare to you now that it's you. In 2012, it's you and it's nothing else. We're asking you to take control and be in charge and Jesus, reorder our lives however you will. We're following you and trusting you and we'll let you take the changes that you want to make in us in the order that you want to take them, not ours. Not on our time, but on yours. And God, our commitment is that we're going to get up in the morning and we're going to take a 20-mile march with you every single day. We're just going to get on it. We're going to open our Bible. We're going to open our ears. We're going to open our mouths. And then we're going to go do what you tell us to do. And we're going to march another 20 miles with you. And we're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to do the same thing. And we're going to get up the next day and we're going to do the same thing. Because we want you to be first, foremost. We want you to be our all, Jesus. Our everything.